You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. Interesting report from the state of Michigan. It said that there was this guy in Detroit who spent 30 hours in jail after artificial intelligence technology misidentified him, pointed him to be some some suspect in a criminal case. But that's kind of scary that AI is not being used in this fashion. He's an expert in law enforcement. My guest is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, has written several books on, on law enforcement. Uh, Randy, I appreciate your time. C- can you give me more background on, on this story out of Michigan? Sure. Um, this uh, individual was arrested, spent 30 hours in jail uh, before he was released based on a two-year-old crime of stealing a bunch of watches. And apparently there must have been some surveillance video that um, was then uh, run through an AI database, a facial recognition database, which uh, resulted in a, uh, a positive hit coming up for him. Now, Here's the, here's the the major issues when you're talking about facial recognition. It is not probable cause to make an arrest. It is only an investigative tool that should be utilized to build a case with a possible suspect. But the investigation has to develop what's called probable cause in order to make an arrest. So the fact that... that um, that the identification took place is not or should not be utilized as the sole reason for for uh, you know for making an arrest so i'm not quite sure what happened here with the investigation but clearly um there was there were there this misidentification was made which shows how flawed this uh, facial recognition can be and and i can tell you that this individual who was arrested, he's not the first to have been arrested on facial recognition um, technology. Uh-huh. The, the way I understood it, it was some robbery at, as you were explaining, like some jewelry store, some place like that, some retailer, a bunch of watches that got stolen. Back in the late 2010s, like 2018, 2019, there was some security camera, some security camera footage of this, and then it was... Like two years plus later, that this guy who made the news uh, up in Michigan, it was the AI. It was the video footage. It, the AI pointed a finger at this guy. He had nothing to do with it. He was arrested in front of his wife and kids. He had nothing to do with it. And when he was arrested, he wasn't even informed what, what the reason was that he was being arrested. I mean, you talk about going off the tracks when it comes to standard procedure arresting people. Oh, you're absolutely right. There was uh, clearly a whole bunch of uh, of errors made here. You know, let's talk about when a police officer makes an arrest. You know, even though you may be arresting someone, that's that person still has, has dignity and is a human. And you know, in the event of of taking someone into custody, it's incumbent upon the police officer to tell him what he's under arrest for. Um, and, and, uh, you know, police, most police officers use compassion and empathy in situations where you're taking someone into custody, as long as it's not, you know, you're not in in the middle of a, of a violent fight with the guy, 
here this man was apparently very compliant um he said he was arrested in front of his wife and family i mean how devastating can that be uh, especially when he wasn't he had nothing to do yeah. with it yeah that's, that's... but this, so this 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 shows now remember that facial recognition in other forms have been utilized in policing for you know over a hundred years you know you talk about mug shots right when it, well, very often um the the uh, a photo array or a photo lineup is utilized to identify a suspect where you you narrow down a suspect and then you show your witness or your victim um a, a series of photographs this is all done this is legal right this, to make an identification and it's listed as part of the investigative process it's part of the case file um with with the facial recognition it's, it's it is not recognized it's not recognized as probable cause in fact many states don't even allow the facial recognition to be utilized in an investigation so you know you have you have the fbi has its own database that is utilized with fbi cases and some local local cases and in, in certain situations but um there there's a there are private databases and these date, private databases have millions and millions and millions of photographs, many of them taken from social media. So you don't even know that your photograph is being utilized oh, by this AI. <laughs> and and so you look, you, I mean, it, it's it's very Orwellian, quite honestly. Very scary. But but here's the other thing: we we can't be afraid of technology without advancing with the technology of the day. Then. You know, policing tends to fall short when it comes to embracing new technologies. But still, at the at the at the end of the day, it's about good police work. You can get a lead, which is which is what what facial recognition is supposed to do. Yeah. But yeah. then it's old fashioned gumshoe police work to put a case together. Ain't nothing That's wrong. Yeah, ain't nothing wrong with the. Um exponential advance of, of technology it's just a tool and maybe it's a primer but in this case used to make an arrest just another case study on how limits need to be put in place as all this technology is moving forward man you know what they say about uh, everybody has a doppelganger everybody has a twin out there somewhere <laughs> i'm wondering if the suspect yeah. in that robbery case had very uh, similar features facial features uh, compared to this individual that who was wrongly arrested. Hey, Randy, real quick, before I let you go, Lieutenant, give me a name of one of your books for folks to look for out there. Um, a Cop's Life, and I have a new one coming out called Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, and they can find that um, at pre-order rescuing911.org, and also check out thewoundedblue.org if you want to help injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Thank you, Randy. Lieutenant Randy Sutton. This is the Sergio Show. We're talking about your money again. You guys who, guys and gals, you, you all belong to the sandwich generation, taking care of parents and now taking care of kids as, as well. And you need to say for your future, sadly, societal changes and, and trends, we still have way too many parents. we got way too many more parents now. They're still subsidizing their kids' lifestyles and paying for their bills. Uh, and this is something I think a, a lot. This is where I am. I've got a 15-year-old, soon to go to college. And, well, my parents are, you know, no, they were the Lord, so that that ended for me. But it's my kid's future. And I, I, I don't stress, but I think a lot about this. 
I'd like for them to to have something, to, to keep something from me and my wife. And how do, how do I do this intelligently so that they receive the fruits of our labor early in life and can benefit from this? So I'm going to have a heart-to-heart now. I'm going to bring back uh, one of our financial strategists and commentators. I lovingly refer to him as Ed, the big Butowski financial strategist. Appreciate your time today, Ed. Look, I've been giving some thought to some alternative methods of, of savings. Aside from the accounts and the retirement accounts that, yes, we can, and I'm, feed, I'm feeding into their college accounts right now uh, and uh, trying to do as much as possible to, to, to pay for that tuition. But there's also the the savings accounts where they become millionaires at age 50 or age 60 thanks to starting early, right? But I'm thinking of alternatives, and I'm wondering if, if you've, you have a, a comment or an opinion on things like collectibles, uh, coins, yeah, minerals, gold, land, or, or maybe even all the family assets placed into an irrevocable uh, trust, one of those things where they get access to our family wealth early on. What, what do you think of all these different type of savings ideas? Well, look, you're looking for things to go up in value, and you want them to go up at least 10% a year. Okay. And you have to make that happen just to offset the rising cost of living. Because regardless of where inflation is today, when the government says inflation's at 2 or 3%, your cost of living increase is about 7%. Yeah. So you need to make at least 10%. And I'll tell you, there are wonderful investments. Wine happens to be a fantastic investment. There's a company called VinoVest. Um, that that I often use, and they you can buy into a fund of very uh, well known uh, Bordeaux and uh, other wines from Europe, and that is a great place to put money. The uh, there, there's also trading cards, there believe it or not. The yeah. baseball cards have done very well. Stamps have done well, but coins have also done very well. Uh, so there are many different ways. To, to uh, you know, make money. It's not just from public securities, which is what I deal with. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you another one that surprised me because I do a lot of research on alternative assets is sneakers. Uh, if you're able to buy sneakers, I mean, you can make about 15, 20% a year um, on, on the right sneaker. Really? That's crazy. I'm, those sneakers won't, uh, well, obviously you need to, would need to store them. They take up space, number one. Number two, you would need to keep them new. Number three, you need to store them in a cool, dark place to make sure that you preserve that. Because these are perishable materials, cloth, plastics that can go south. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, oh, yeah. right? But Yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's lots of ways to make money, and it's the scarcity of them. Uh, you know, instead of buying gold, I recommend people buy diamonds. I was going to ask you about the diamonds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. diamonds are a fabulous way. Uh, but when you think about... But you know, the- that I, I'm sorry, Ed. Let me let me ask you about it. Ed Butowski, financial strategist. I'm looking for alternative savings methods for, for my kids, for my boys. And I'm sure you're probably thinking of, about that as well. On the diamond side, there are a lot of fake diamonds out there or recently produced diamonds from, like, compressed carbon, these companies. I got... It's like, it's, it's, I, I can find a gold exchange 
a gold retailer, easier online. They're all over the place. I think it's easier to find that than to find a genuine, legit, reliable a diamond place that's not going to fleece you. You're not going to, you know, well, bleed all your money. Yeah, I mean, the diamonds, you want them to be certified by a group called GIA, which is Gemolitis Institute of America. And that's the only uh, certification that you should look for. Anything else um, isn't worth the paper it's printed on. But GIA is what you want to be buying. And the key to diamonds is you can buy them at 30% below what they're worth. And then you have a built-in 30% uh, profit uh, when after you buy them. You can't do that with gold or silver. Lithium, how high in demand it is. And, man, if somebody were to sell shares of land or areas that produce the, the lithium, with all the push for EVs and how rare that, that is, I would imagine that would be a smart investment for the next generation or two. What do you think? Yeah, um, it, it makes sense. I, I was just reading something that you have to have graphite along with lithium to make these batteries, and the United States doesn't have any uh, functioning graphite uh, mines. Yeah. So that, that's why we're relying on China. Yeah, on China, yeah. <laughs> that's assuming that batteries will use the same standard components sometime over the next half generation to, to full generation. Maybe some university, hopefully, some university, some lab out there in, in this country will soon develop something closer to cold fusion with something else. I'm kind of hoping and praying that that's the case. And that would be the game changer. So final thought from you before I let you go, Ed. Appreciate your time. Final thought from you. Well, I would just say that people should worry about themselves before they worry about, you know, sadly, instead of worrying about their children, because you have less time to save for retirement. And, you know, I would make sure that you have about $3 million socked away uh, be, you know, in order to retire in, on $10,000 a month because that's 4% of what you have saved is $10,000, and that's the number you should be using is 4% of what you saved. Yeah. And when will Social Security die, in your opinion? It's already died. Okay. Um, but, but they'll continue to use the Ponzi scheme and continue to print money. I mean, that's a whole different discussion on just the financial yeah. condition of the state. They will need to cut but, those benefits. So do not rely, absolutely do not rely on Social Security but to be a big uh, supplement, a big portion of your retirement, especially if you're in your 40s no, you, or 50s right now. You, you guys listen up. You guys yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, sock away your money. Thank you, Ed, financial strategist, Ed Butowski. This is The Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Taking out my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Checking the news and court docket. Ken Belkin for Fox News, legal analyst. Appreciate your time, Ken. Let's start 
with that case, everybody, well, not everybody, but lots of people we're talking about, uh, from New York City in the subway, Mr. Daniel Penny, he goes, puts a, a chokehold on an individual making all sorts of threats to fellow riders, and this dude's been a pain in the, you know what, for many years, making all sorts of threats and just being a, a nuisance. So he made some strong threats. Mr. Penny puts him in a chokehold. Other individuals hold his arms, that, that suspect as well. The dude dies. And the uproar by some, and Mr. Penny, he, he shows up because there's a charge against him, like a lower manslaughter charge. Let's start there. That lower manslaughter charge that he's facing, please describe it to me. What are the thresholds that have been met that the DA feels there, the prosecutors feel pressed to bring this guy to court, maybe throw him in jail? That's what they want. Well, they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Penny acted in a criminally negligent manner that resulted in uh, Mr. Neely's death. And I think it's an appropriate charge because there is probable cause that that happened. Remember, to be charged, the, the legal threshold is only probable cause, which basically means some ex evidence exists that a crime occurred. And we could all agree some evidence exists that a crime occurred. Now. In New York, we have a defense known as justification, or otherwise known as self-defense or defense of others. Now, if Mr. Neely was presenting a threat of serious bodily injury or death to either Mr. Penny or the other riders on that subway car, and they could not safely flee, which I believe on a subway car, your ability <laughs> to safely flee is impeded, yeah. um, you know, then he is privileged to employ some force to deter that threat, but it, it can't, it's not supposed to be deadly force. Now, I know he didn't intend that. Now, you know, and I know he didn't intend that, but it seems like the district attorney's office doesn't know that, and they want to make a case of this. You, you realize how ridiculous this looks to me down here in Texas, uh, and this guy making very, really strong threats to writers. We're getting more and more information. I think Mr. Penny is going to have the benefit of fellow writers and witnesses saying, yeah, I didn't feel safe. This dude was coming after me and the threats that he was making. I think uh, the witness testimony is in the favor of Mr. Penny. Listen, I hope you're right for Mr. Penny's sake and as a defense attorney. And let me tell you, you'll see all sorts of ridiculous things on New York City subways. Huh. Um, it, it is kind of what it is at this point uh, because our elected leaders have abdicated their duty to pursue policies in the interest of public safety. But the, the reality is we have some elected leaders that are clamoring. He should have been charged with murder. This is a modern-day lynching. That's irresponsible, and it that's is. playing to the mob. Yeah, it is irresponsible, and nobody ever holds them to the count, much less the, the voters in the area that should take this irresponsible commentary by some of the local leadership. Okay, so what's next for Mr. Penny? I mean, he went there. He checked in. I guess he's out on bond, right? Yeah, so he's been arraigned, he's been formally charged to move forward with a felony in the state of New York. The DA's office has to present this case to a grand jury okay. and seek an indictment, okay? Now, remember, a grand jury is a very, it, not a very, it is a one-sided proceeding. The defense is not allowed to present evidence. You can have your client testify, and you can, in some cases, present witnesses, but you, the defense attorney, me, does not get to question them, okay? Mm, okay. Only the DA's office.
So it's not necessarily a fair proceeding. It's a one-sided proceeding. There's an old saying, a grand jury would indict a ham sandwich, because that's how easy it is to secure an indictment. There still is hope, though, that there might be enough common sense from the grand jurors looking at this saying, yeah, I've taken the subway. Some people might even say, I know who they're, I know precisely who that is, and I felt threatened one time. There's still hope that this, might, this case might fall apart at the grand jury level, right? Yeah, it could even fall apart before that. If credible evidence is brought to the district attorney's office attention that, you know, really makes it impossible, because the burden shifts. Okay, they have to prove the crime beyond reason. It's self-defense or justification, as we call it. They have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was not justified in, in employing that force. And if evidence is given to that DA's office in advance and they know this, they have a duty to pursue justice, not to secure a conviction. And that duty would mean dismissing these charges. All right, Ken, we'll see what comes of this. Appreciate your time today, bro. From up in New York, he's up in New York, is Ken Belkin for Fox News Legal Analyst. This is The Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Continuing efforts in the nation's capital to raise the nation's national debt ceiling, the debt level. Let's bring in someone from the other side of the aisle, a Democrat strategist, Nicole Brenner-Schmidt. If you had a chance to provide some, some advice to President Joe Biden and company, the you know, eggheads, the really smart people that are looking at the numbers and negotiating with Republicans, what would you recommend to the president? Cut something, Mr. President, or, or dig your heels in. Don't move. Don't you dare move. You hold the line. But what would you say to him? Well, I mean, look, certainly I am a fan of negotiation and think that both sides can make some key concessions and we can avoid what would be a catastrophic event. But there are certain lines in the sand for the Democratic Party. They're not going to concede on... SNAP benefits um, and some of these other programs. That's just the fundamentals to um, the party, their constituents. Uh, so, you know, both sides need to come in with proposals that we can work from and negotiate on. Because the one thing everyone does agree on and, and leaves all their negotiating sessions saying is we can't default. <laughs> um, we all know that that would be really catastrophic for the American economy and just so many people yeah. um, living in this country. Yeah, and, and you hear it, either Kevin McCarthy over the Republican side of the House, and of course, uh, Joe Biden, President Biden, saying the same thing. We're not going to default. Don't worry. We're not going to default, people. And, I, and I'm asking, okay, is this just political bluster? It, it, are they just doing the politician thing? Or is there some substantive, like some real uh, negotiating and compromising mm -hmm. taking place behind the scenes, or are they just trying to, you know, 
trying to ease all the butterflies in the markets. They got you know butterflies in their belly right now. The markets and and you know because of the economic slowdown they're expecting as a result of if they don't pay the bills. So what which one do you think it is? Well, I, I think it's a combination. I, I think that there really are um, negotiations happening. I mean, the Biden administration has appointed um, a lot of new people to it. Obviously, the members of of the Republican Party are, are joining them at the White House. Um, I think that that's real. But I also think both parties understand that publicly continuing to say defaulting would be um, a crisis. We're not going to let that happen does sort of, they hope, temper the markets and keep keep things as stable as they can be when we're, you know, two weeks away from a deadline and seemingly not that close to the actual uh, agreement. Yeah. My guest is a Democrat, Nicole Brenner-Schmitz, Democrat strategist. What type of work do you do, Nicole? Who, who do you help out? Is there a particular senator, congressperson? And tell me about your experience on the Democrat side. Uh, I worked on the Hill for a Democratic congressman, and then I spent a lot of years as a political director for um, some labor unions, um, and now I consult for a lot of different organizations. Um, you know, and it's it's a, a bipartisan effort. I come from the Democratic side. I worked for them, but I, I do work with both sides of the aisle uh, in my in my current work now. So I understand a lot of the negotiation that's gotta gotta happen. From your perspective, Nick. Why is Joe Biden, in some of these polling uh, results that have been popping up in the news the past week or so, say Joe Biden up by six, Joe Biden up by seven right now, versus Donald Trump in the general opinion, general election. I don't know if it's like likely voters or not, but I see those headlines. I'm going, how is it possible? Well, the border near me melting the way it is, with thousands of people crossing, and these pop- that are directly linked to Joe Biden and his more open, border-minded policies, and course inflation and then the advocacy for the social revolution especially on the trans side the trans kids side the surgery side the injections the castration i'm going that's not coming from republics and yet still people somewhere out there saying yeah we prefer joe biden over donald trump from your perspective nicole why is that well i think that there is a lot to be said about Donald Trump and who he is specifically, less about identifying with a party or the issues. There are a lot of people in this country who have concerns about Donald Trump leading again. And some of those concerns, frankly, come from within a moderate, more moderate section of the Republican Party. There there are voices and people who think it should be a different leader. Look, Ron DeSantis is not more moderate than Donald Trump when it comes to issues. But the chaos that Trump sort of brings around him and the behaviors of the name calling and mm-hmm. the, just mm-hmm. the fear mongering that goes on is, is unique to him. And so I think this is for the Republican party to decide like what kind of leader do they, they want there? Because you're right. The reality is that the American people don't want to have that leadership again. They didn't select it in 2020 there's no reason to believe that that is where we'd go. And the Biden administration is going to continue to talk about the infrastructure bill that they got done, something that, you know, frankly, Trump and the Republicans said the entire time of his presidency. can't tell you how many times it was transportation week with no transportation bill. Um, they're going to talk about inflation on its way down right now. They're going to talk about the low unemployment in America. But look, politics is... <laughs> 
uh, a fickle business and can truly change overnight, right? This doesn't always, it's not a slow moving uh, process. Something like this debt ceiling, other issues that come to the forefront, what Americans are sort of feeling and paying the most attention to in the time leading up to the election is going to affect it a lot. I mean, we're so far out from this and the Republican side of the aisle has their primary. And so there's there's so much time between now and, and the presidential election. From a Democrat Party perspective and you a worker uh, within the Democrat Party and having worked on the Hill for so many years. Nicole uh, Brenner-Schmitz is my guest. She's a Democrat and a worker on the Hill for, for many years. And as you said, work from the other side of the aisle. Look, the culture in D.C. is left of center. The culture in the press, the American, the free press in America, and God bless it, still needs to be free. Unfortunately, it's very left of center, and they prioritize news that that they shouldn't, and they don't look at other news that should. But that's another argument for another day. Looking at the culture in the press and looking at the culture in D.C. that does favor Democrats, are you in any way concerned, disturbed by... The recent report that this FBI investigation, Russia, 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 should never have happened in the first place. This is clear weaponizing of the investigatory tools in this nation for political reasons, political purposes. And we've yet to tell the full story on this. This could very easily be used by the other side against Democrats if we're not careful and do proper reforms in FISA courts and the FBI and everything else. Do you want changes to FISA, changes to investigations in D.C. to make sure that we never again weaponize FBI or IRS or anything else up in D.C. for one political party? Well, look, I think what happened with this report, which, you know, was supposed to be this whole blockbuster, then kind of failed on that, didn't really find any of the outcomes that they insisted they were going to find over and over, um, is part of where the American public has their frustration, right? Because really, if you talk to... Uh, a lot of people, and you do these focus groups, and you, and you sit down with the American voters, they're frustrated by both sides of the aisle. They think most of the politicians can be bought and are corrupt. It really doesn't have to do with what what party you're you're a part of. They they feel that they're being left out of the conversation. And and this is something that we see consistently. It's it's why, frankly, like running against Washington, being the outsider not being part of the quote-unquote swamp. Which explains Donald Trump. Which explains Donald Trump. <laughs> the lure, right. yeah. the attraction of Donald Trump. He's the well, outsider. And, you know, the interesting part is where a Trump, and I, I'll take a very extreme person on the, uh, a Bernie Sanders sort of overlap, right? Like, they actually overlap a lot on the, I mean, Bernie no longer with the swamp message, but this idea of, like, I, you know, not taking... Um, certain kinds of money and not being bought and paid for by people and on a lot of their trade policies, um, which is this America first and build it here and manufacture it here. And they're pushback against things like the TPP trade agreement. So, you know, I mean, those are that is something the American public believes and they they just think that both sides are really corrupt. So what you're seeing going back to this debt limit is like this morning two members of Congress, the Republican Brian Fitzpatrick and Democrat Abigail Sandberger, introduced a bill that says, hey, if we don't work this out, the first thing that goes is <laughs> your salary. <laughs> That's right. Nicole, right. <laughs> I, I got to go. I appreciate your time today. But you know what saddens me? Just a parting thought. Despite the you know, being bought and corrupt and all the claims by all these people, they still vote them in. And these people have 30, 40, 50 year careers on the Hill. Nicole, it's a pleasure. Be safe, friend. We'll talk to you again. Nicole Brenner-Schmitz, Democrat strategist. 
This is the Sergio Show. Hayek is the last name, right, Ashley? Yes, that's right. Like Selma Hayek, right? That's right. No relation? Exactly. No? No relation? No relation. No, okay. No. <laughs> We're going to ask you for an autograph. Oh. Okay. connection. Joe Biden cuts a trip short overseas. He hopes to focus on the deadline for the debt ceiling for our country. From America First Works, Ashley Hayek. There's all these reports behind good the morning. scenes that, good morning, there's all these reports behind the scenes that negotiations are, are moving forward. If you had a chance to make some recommendations to Republicans, Kevin McCarthy and crew, what would you insist be non-negotiable? So a couple things. First of all, I think Speaker McCarthy has done an incredible job on negotiating on behalf of the American people. Um, number one, I think it's really important to not increase our spending and that we need to have spending cuts. And that is a feeling or sentiment that is uh, across party line with all Americans. You know, all of us have had to cut back on necessities due to the Biden administration's inflation crisis. And so it's time for government to do the same and cut back on wasteful spending that is truly wrecking our economy. Um, one thing that could be done is add work requirements which, you know, I think that that will be something that they'll keep in there. And I feel pretty confident about that. But we have to require have work requirements for, for people who receive any sort of uh, federal aid. Um, the other thing I would strongly recommend is that we stop um, giving handouts to illegal aliens, period. Stop, um, eliminate payments, eliminate the benefits for illegal immigrants. And that, by the way, over 70% of Americans agree with that. And the third thing I think is not negotiable is we have to stop spending the unspent COVID relief funds. Yep. That should be saved money. Um, again, that's a position that the majority of Americans agree with, but we need to return to um, pre-COVID spending levels. The way the government has been spending money, is, this is nothing new. Uh, we're going back you know, decades now. The way the government, the federal government has been and debting our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and all of working people in this country. It's scary to think that at the moment, just the service on the debt, the billions upon billions of dollars to pay for all these bonds, all these notes that the Chinese and Japanese, everybody else, and even American people, yes, they, they buy these bonds, the treasury notes. But the service on that debt, we're getting really close to what we spend over at the Pentagon in national defense. I think that's a talking point that so-called conservative leadership should be sounding the alarm on, saying, look, to service our debt, there's how many hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars just to pay the interest on the debt. That should, I think, that should scare, that should wake up the American voter. But really, nobody's talking about that right now, Ashley. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, in the last 45 years, Congress has had to increase the debt ceiling 60 times, 60 times in 45 years. Stop already. And it's really, wow. <laughs> it's unexcusable. And it makes, it's perfect sense. The way you, you know, you save money, you stop your spending. You stop your spending. There's so much waste right now in government as well. Um, and I think one of the things that McCarthy has put forth, because McCarthy has put forward is, you know, go back to fiscal year 2022 budget. That's the Democrats' own budget. Why are they objecting to that? You know, th that was something that everybody agreed in the, the House Democrats, uh, Senate Democrats. Go back to that level. Let's start there. Um, I do think that Biden is starting to blink a little bit and he's starting to concede 
uh, to House Republicans, which is fantastic. I think they are getting closer to a deal. But let's also not forget how embarrassing it is that our our president, who's supposed to be a world leader, not only is he stumbling around um, at the G7 summit, but he has to run home because he doesn't have his own house in order. He had plenty of time to address this crisis. He had plenty of time to take on the debt ceiling conversation, and he waited till the last minute. And that just goes to show yet again how he is not really the leader that we need to be running our country. 12 days and counting until the June 1st deadline. So ominous deadline. Let's see what happens next week on this. Ashley, thank you for your time. From America First Works, Ashley Hyatt. This is The Sergio Show. Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. With more than three decades of being in the classroom and being at the office at administration and education, front lines of education, I welcome back Dr. Rebecca Good and the topic today is student behavior or actually misbehavior. It seems that there's some reports, data showing that post-pandemic, all the kids going back to school, in-person classes, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a a rash of violence and misbehavior and kids fighting back and just being butts all day long. When you were an educator, Dr. Good, how did y'all deal with bad kids, bad seeds? Did you use the Board of Education that you expel them to an alternative campus. I mean, you've got three decades of education under your belt. What was, what is the best approach for those kids that just will not conform? Well, just, they're just bad kids. I mean, it is what it is. Well, there's no such thing as a bad kid. Let me go on record by saying, but um, kids are shaped by uh, traumas, experiences, and we had a problem with teacher burnout and um, kids misbehaving before COVID. COVID just, you know, ex- accelerated it and made it 10 times worse. Now, what, you know, I I've, was 35 years in public education and nine years, my last nine years was as superintendent. And what I saw, and what I saw was that we had to put in restorative practice, which is a social justice system for our kids so that they could be self-accountable and then make sure the teachers were trained well enough to implement it. Because the hardest part of putting in a classroom behavior management system is getting through to the adults who are supposed to use it. The adults want to punish. That's a traditional mindset. And so their first go-to is to punish the child. And parents have that also as well. But in schools, 
because we no longer paddle and, and want to paddle, <laughs> frankly. We, we, no, I know some do. Yeah. <laughs> not I was going to say, but. yeah. Are you sure you don't, you get that itchy hand, <laughs> want to get a board and say, okay, bend over, kiddo. <laughs> this, this is what you get. This is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, but uh, parents, you know, back in the day, parents supported that. Parents don't support that anymore. And if you don't have the parent support around paddling, it's it's a liability. So, um, a restorative practice is a classroom management technique. That Isn't is that part of the problem, though, Doctor Becca? Because parents have gone all soft and are no longer providing enough discipline for their bad seeds and sending those bad seeds to school and <laughs> just running a mic and ruining the school day for the other kids that are trying to learn and the teachers that are trying to get their job done because those kids yes. don't belong in the classroom in a standard classroom they belong somewhere else in my opinion we we can very easily point the finger in various directions you know parents uh, teachers yes. and administrators school administrators who are not being effective in in engaging kids and making sure they use a classroom management system that works, and engaging parents and making parents respect the school and respect the people within it. All of that in a, in a poorly run school, that's not happening. But you have well-run schools now because we have principals who have figured it out and who, you know, they hold to the student code of conduct, which every school has, and they have different levels of offenses with consequences tied to it. When a school follows its student code of conduct okay. and, you know, does it consistently enough where parents who are there year after year know that okay. and can tell let, other parents. Let, let's focus on that word. Consequences. Okay, the ones that are doing it right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the spectrum is just crazy uh, wild and, and, and varied on this. I mean, it, there's so many ingredients that go into it. The local school, local school district, it's the local culture, the city, the poverty level, education level, uh, the culture and acceptance of misbehavior and crime by some of the, There's so many things, that, some well-to-do neighborhoods, gated communities, all that stuff. People who work hard to get that and send their kids to, you know, schools that are, you know, better funded. All those things. Okay. Consequences for bad behavior at the rich schools, at the poor schools. What are the the successful applications of consequence. What is that? When you say consequence, what's the, that's punishment. And kids will learn from that and will try to avoid that. What are some of the consequences that work? So if teachers are trained consistently and in an ongoing manner in an effective classroom management system and they implement that effectively and consistently, then things like self-accountability in this, in the restorative practice management system, uh, you have kids who, when they when they get into it, let's say you have two kids who hit each other in third grade, that happens all the time. And so instead of sending them each to the principal's office, the teacher goes through a series of questions to ask about what happened, and the the kids then become aware that they they were the problem. They apologize to each other, yeah. and it's done. Okay. And, and so the uh, the, young, the younger the uh, absolutely the younger the more malleable and accepting they are. But at a certain age, they just don't care, and they don't give a flip, and they go back to a home that encourages and apologizes for this and expects in some, in some cases this behavior. There's just some bad people out there. No matter how much talking you do, it ain't going to make a difference. At some point, those bad seeds need to be placed somewhere else don't you think well, uh, there are alternative schools alternative schools um receive kids for from three days to three months depending on the level of offense yeah. so there there are those places for kids and then you have the juvenile system 
they, you know, if it's, if it's almost oh, criminal Lord. what they do, then yeah. we have that too. Lord but ironically them. enough, the restorative practice management system began in Minnesota about 25 years ago in the criminal junior uh, youth criminal system. So it started with the worst kids and it turned them around. Again, we, we <laughs> don't think that that can happen, but it can happen, but it has to be effective. It has to be ongoing training. It has I... to be used consistently. Okay, all of that. Yeah, Dr. Beck, I don't know if Minnesota is a good example of turning things around. Not all, anymore. Okay. They're all okay. screwed up on oh. the inside. My good, all the social <laughs> justice warriors and, and protests and uh, apologists before criminal activity. I don't know, Doc. Um, but Lord help him. You're right. One, one thing's for sure if the kids, if the criminal system is all that's left in alternative schools, uh, well, those poor babies, they're, they're lost. And Lord help them. I. You know, there's really no way well, for them to, to come back. There are good alternative schools, too. There okay. are good alternative schools that have restorative practice in them and who can, you know, turn kids around. We just have to have effective educators that not only are working with kids, but they're working with that's the a, parents at home. That's a and that's point. another thing. Our legislators are starting to put more money in requiring counselors, more counselors at school. That's very much needed. And so once we all work together to try to um, understand that these mental health issues play out in very dangerous ways, as we know, yep. with all these school shootings. Yep. Um, all right. we, we need to get more serious about helping our kids. Thanks, Doc. Good to talk again. Dr. Rebecca Thanks. Good joining us on the program. This is The Sergio Show.